0: Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning in to the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of interviews with professionals from a vast variety of industries to help you gain the exposure and the insider info you need to find a career path you'll love. If you're excited to live vicariously through people with super cool jobs, maybe even some you've never heard of, then you're in the right place. If you're looking for step-by-step guidance on how you can identify your unique calling and actually land a job that pays you to fulfill it, then go have a blast scrolling through the nearly 50 other episodes of Answer the Call waiting for you below this series. This week is all about the exciting and diverse field of engineering. And in this episode, we get to hear from Zachary Slater, a software engineer with Credera. And if that company name sounds familiar, it's the beloved company that past podcast guest and friend Nathan Schaub works for as a management consultant as well. And this conversation with Zachary is so valuable and fascinating. You'll hear him share about the difference between computer science and computer engineering, the truth behind the myth that you have to love math to be an engineer, and the search terms you could use to find a variety of software engineering jobs, which we covered because actually a lot of companies might use quirky titles that Actually, all mean the same thing, and I don't want positions to be hidden from you if you don't know what to look up and how to think through if you would really find this line of work to be a satisfying fit and if it is and you do want to go for it, what you could do to get a job in software engineering, even if you didn't get a degree in computer science like Zachary did. You'll love hearing about how his wife made a career pivot of her own into this field through self-study, choosing the right entry-level position, then exercising some strong negotiation skills that I was in full admiration of. Before we dive into this gem of an episode, I just have one tiny favor to ask. No matter if you're new here or a long-time listener, I'd love your help. Would you mind simply tapping the stars on Apple Podcasts to rate the show? It's only one little click, but it actually helps a lot. It's a super quick win for you if you're a listener who wants to support the show in a tiny but mighty way. Thank you so much to those of you who have already left a rating and review and shared the show and tagged me on Instagram stories. Your help means a lot to me and I love to see when you're listening and what you love about the show. Okay, now enjoy this episode with Zachary Slater. All right, well, Zachary, I am so excited to have you here to talk about the exciting field of software engineering, computer science, slash about a billion other things, which I will have you break down all the different terms that someone might use to refer to your profession, but very excited to have you talk about it. And welcome.
1: Thank you. It's great All to be here.
0: Yeah. So let's kick it off with what do you do? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes. So I am a technology consultant at a company called Credera. We do management and technology consulting. We're based in Dallas, but have offices in several places um, across the country and um, are expanding internationally as well.
0: Whoa, that's news to me. I have so many friends at Credera, including Nathan Schaub, who was a past guest on the podcast, which you know. Um, but yeah, apparently, the best company. Everybody always talks about it so highly. Um, so very exciting. But um, how long have you been with Credera?
1: I've been with Credera um, since since college. So I graduated in, in 2014. Um, so I've been with them for six years now my only Solid. only career experience
0: well a good one at that yeah. and you know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because typically I kick off with the same three questions what do you do and now my other two what are you all about like you in a nutshell your hobbies and things and then what is a career dream of yours
1: uh, yeah what am I all about um, you know i I'm passionate about um, technology. And um, I have uh, an answer you get a lot from technology people is that we like video games. And I do like video <laughs> yeah. games. Um, and, and part of that is uh, virtual reality is what I've been getting into lately. So that's the, the stuff that I like to to introduce people to. Um, I have a whole a whole room that is my VR room. So. <gasps> what
0: what does a VR room even entail?
1: A lot of empty space.
0: That's what I thought, because <laughs> it's not like there's all this setup. up, because I'm thinking, as far as I know, VR is really just about your wearable technology and
1: then empty space. <laughs> yep. You need, yeah. you need the empty space. Uh, when I first got the VR equipment, I um, almost tripped and fell over a whole bunch <laughs> of furniture. Um, <laughs> It's not a a good situation.
0: (laughs) No, oh my gosh, what an interesting hobby to have. Um, And then what about that career dream?
1: The career dream? uh, Yeah, I don't have like a a big career dream, but I just really like influencing the way technology is built. And um, if I can look back at the work I've done and say I've had an impact on this company in a positive way, um, you know, whatever client I'm working for, uh, that's really where I find, you know, the joy of, of what I do and, and the work that I complete.
0: That's so awesome. Uh, driven by excellence, um, for sure it sounds like. So you mentioned, as I got ahead of myself and asked, that you graduated in 2014, obviously from Texas A&M, because I am hard-pressed to interview anyone but an Aggie, apparently. Um, and I know that you studied computer science. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference between computer science and computer engineering?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, obviously I know more about computer science than I do about computer engineering, getting the degree in it, but um, computer engineering actually has classes on the hardware aspect of computers, and um, you know, not just what you would consider to be a computer or a personal computer, Um, but things like microcontrollers and um, smaller computers, they're still technically computers, um, and they really go into understanding those, how to build those and how that interacts with software. So I took some programming classes with um, some computer engineers, and I work with people who have computer engineering backgrounds Um, you know, in the same job that I do. So, it is a a career path that can get into the same, you know, position or have other positions with more hardware-based companies. Um, And then computer science is mainly focused on um, the theoretical side as far as you go in in depth into data structures, algorithms. Um, I took classes on artificial intelligence, computer graphics, video game design, computer human interaction, um, and then just regular software engineering methodologies like um, the waterfall method and agile. So Mm -hmm. I really like got exposure into a lot of particular um, components of programming that a computer engineer wouldn't have necessarily had the time or ability to, to go into
0: how did you come to realize that you wanted to pursue a career in uh, software engineering? And could you also go ahead and explain the difference between a lot of the terms that people use in place of software engineering or think that they're the same and how are they different?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I um, had no idea what really an engineer was what an engineer did um, until my junior year in high school Uh, i knew that you had to be good at math in order to be an engineer that's always what i heard and i wasn't great at math in in middle school and early on so i kind of wrote off math and said i'm not going to need math for my career i'm not going into an engineering field or any of that and then um, my junior year of high school i kind of took an engineering class that my school offered on a whim i had the time i needed to fill it with something um and i i wanted to figure out what engineering was and that year i got involved with the team's um robotics team or mm-hmm. the the school's robotics team and um that was where i got my first exposure to programming i just taught myself on LabView, which was not the best first language to learn, but um, I, I kind of figured out through that 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 was something that I would be interested in doing. So um, looking back, I easily could have missed this entire field as an option um, to me if I hadn't taken that class on a whim. And so it's part of the reason I'm, I'm fairly passionate about pushing people towards this field. When I see, um, you know, my friends who are parents who have young kids, especially who have young girls who are never told, you know, you can be a programmer. If, if you like problem solving, you should be, you should look into programming, look into software engineering. Um, cause so often people aren't told that that's an option for them and they never explore it.
0: That's so cool. I love that you're an advocate for that, especially for young girls. Um, And so what are the common objections that you hear, I guess, in addition to the common one that I've also heard of like, I'm not good at math, I'm sure STEM or engineering isn't for me. What are the common objections other than that that you hear? And what is your response to it?
1: Yeah, um, so... I'd say that one, if you ask someone to picture um, someone who, who does programming for a living or who's a software engineer, a lot of people can pretty easily get someone in their mind. And I'd say generally, it's not a great picture of a um, socially competent person. You know, there's, there's stereotypes that they have. And so a lot of people look at that and say, I'm not that. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be, you know, in a cave typing in a computer for my entire life, you know, um, staying at a desk. And, and that's not what a career in this field is like. Um, so I, I'd say that a lot of people let those misconceptions about what it is to be a computer engineer get in the way of even getting close enough to figure out what it actually is.
0: Mm. Well, I'm excited to ask you more later on. We'll definitely get into what it actually is, what your profession is like, which I'm sure is so much more lively and a richer picture than just I'm in a little room without windows and I'm just typing away. You know, it's so annoying when people always say like ones and zeros and I'm like, that's not even coding anymore. Why do you, <laughs> why do you even say that? But anyway, um, that's definitely something I hear. Yeah, I'm not going to be ageist, but we'll move on before I say something incorrect. Um, But uh, in regards to the specific example of you saying you didn't feel like you were good at math, how did that play out as you got into the engineering realm? Did you, I guess, surprise yourself and say, hey, I actually am good at it? Or was it not as applicable, not as much Um, of your focus had to be on math, what was it that kind of relieved your tension in that area?
1: Yeah, so um, getting into engineering, there were aspects of it where as I started to be good at engineering, I found math more interesting and got better at it, and it was something that I am good at math now, and so that whole attitude, especially in, you know, middle school and high school where someone is telling themselves I'm just not good at math is a is a terrible attitude because it, it's much better to look at it as I'm not yet good at math hmm. and then and then you you grow into it and it's, it's I remember a huge barrier for math being how is this relevant why am I com- why am I finding out the answer to this question and engineering gives the, gives that answer a lot of the time this is why I'm doing the math. This is what the answer leads to. Um, So I think, you know, as I started exploring engineering, I I got better at math and actually found out that I could enjoy it.
0: That's so cool because you're touching on this theme of if you could find purpose in something, usually you could find more gumption to apply yourself to it and you naturally (laughs) enhance your skills in that area a bit more because you have wind in your sails. Like, oh, this is for a reason Um, because I I think it's such a good thing to have to have purpose and such a natural question to ask if you feel like, what am I really doing this for? If you can't find a reason, it's kind of natural to decrease your effort uh, in that area. So anyway, that's cool that um, engineering really satisfied that, no, I see where this is going and the use of it, so I'm going to apply myself to it more. Um, Going back to the question I brought up a little while back of the different terms people use for software engineering, like programming and whatnot, what are the different common terms you hear people Use for your field, and can you talk about the differences? This will be, well, let me note, especially helpful for anyone who at the end feels like, no, I really do want to apply myself maybe to getting into this kind of career. And these would be the search terms that you're putting
1: into job listing sites. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Searching for jobs in this field can be difficult sometimes. It's easier on in the, the earlier fields where, um, you know, people are looking for developers software developers. Some might list it as programmer, but I feel like that's rarely seen, at least in my experience. Uh, Software engineer is a great one to search for. That's commonly used. Um, But right now, the position that I hold is an architect, which um, when, I don't know if anyone uses Glassdoor, but when I told Glassdoor that my new position was an architect, I I started getting a lot of recommendations for jobs in architecture, which I am not qualified (laughs) for. (laughs) So um, it can be difficult at some points telling people, you know, I'm an architect, but I'm a technical architect. So, but people don't always list it as technical architect. So um, software engineer, I think is what I would recommend focusing searches on. Um, That's probably most in line with, with where you would be looking.
0: And what are the meanings of those different terms? Because I know not all of them, we were talking a little bit before, not all of them are completely synonymous. Like, programmer, if someone is using that term, it actually doesn't mean the exact same thing as software engineer.
1: Yeah, a a programmer, you know, programs. Mm -hmm. And that is not at all um, all encompassing of, of what a software engineer does. A software engineer is responsible for developing software and not only that, but for, you know, driving the direction of software. It's, it's your job as a software engineer to give tech technical recommendations and to make sure that the the path that you're going with the software is, is where it should be going. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that requires a lot more skills than, than just programming. You have to have good communication for that. You have to be able to um, explain technical concepts to people who don't understand those technical concepts. So Mm -hmm. those are skills that are, I would say, not um, emphasized in the role of programmer, but skills that are um, absolutely necessary in a software Mm -hmm. engineering role.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Is it correct to, Summarize it as um, a software engineer. It that role includes, it seems, strategy. Like you're developing the direction, the use, the architecture, and um, also consulting with whatever client or end user or whatever it is to create the plan. And then a programmer would be executing on that. And a software engineer can do both of those things. But if someone is kind of quote just a programmer it they would just be plugging away on actually developing the software
1: yeah I think if you um you know sell yourself as a programmer you're you're locking off some some opportunities that you would otherwise have
0: I see and then furthermore what about architects does that encompass anything different any additional roles and responsibilities
1: yeah architect um An architect over a technical project is actually defining the um, solution. So it is their responsibility to work with the other developers on the team to make sure that the end product that you're building is one cohesive piece that solves the problem versus um, A whole bunch of different parts of a solution that don't work well together. So the architect um, comes up with the actual solution and then communicates that with business and developers. And it kind of plays that bridge role between the tech and the business.
0: Mm. And certainly this seems like a much higher level position, which there's a reason why you graduated into this role, um, and now hold it after six years of work experience. Um, did I get that right? Yeah, six years. Though, yes, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so if someone is entering, trying to look for jobs at a more senior level, would it be, I guess it doesn't hurt to go ahead and add to your search, like technical architect and see what comes up if you're not seeing things under maybe senior software engineer?
1: Yeah, um, I would expect, and that, that's where it can be difficult sometimes, is, is that Some companies senior software engineer might be a lateral move for me where I hold a architect position where I am currently, but I've gone through a, I was a consultant when I started and a senior consultant after that. So I didn't even go into those terms as other terms that you might want to look into, but if you go into the field of consulting, then you definitely have to add, you know, consulting, uh, titles to that. Um, but, an architect is um, a fairly widely used um, term. So if you're looking for that, that level where you're, I'd call it a technical manager almost, mm. you, you are in charge of multiple people and the solutions that they are writing.
0: New question that just came up in my mind. <laughs> uh, by the way, thank you so much for letting me indulge all these little bunny trails that I, I feel are coming up, but they're really important. I want to ask about how did you decide to go into technology consulting versus working, I guess, as a, what is the term, in-house software engineer for a tech company?
1: Yes. Um take take this answer with the understanding that i've only worked in consulting (laughs) sure i've gone from um client to client and seen plenty of people who work as in-house engineers um and what i have seen is that growth in those positions can sometimes become static it can be more difficult to grow faster in those positions. So um, I chose consulting because there's a natural churn that you get. You you have a natural ramp off of projects, so you'll work on something for a while. And then if you're not growing fast enough, which you're not going to if you're working on a single product for so long you have to move on to something else in order to grow other skills and to keep learning. Um, and consulting is a great vehicle for that because mm. I can be working on on something for six months to a year and I can become an expert on that technology. And then I can go to another area where I, I know so little. And you have to learn those skills so quickly um, and you're really developing a skill of learning, not necessarily a skill in a specific technology, which is exactly what you need to have in order to be successful in this career. You need to be able to learn skills quickly because if you aren't learning new technologies, your skills will be stale in a few years.
0: <laughs> That's the scary thing. Well, for someone, I, I think that there are just God-made people where... Some of us think that's scary and others are like a new challenge, which I'm sure that must be you. (laughs) If you enjoyed this so much, I see you have a huge smile on your face talking about your job. Um, so, well, I'm glad it really does take all sorts of people to make the world go round. Um, but what are some common misconceptions about software engineering?
1: Yeah. So I mentioned, um, the, the picture that everyone gets in their mind I think that's a misconception is that um, you're only going to be working with one type of person and you don't really like that type of person so <laughs> why would you go into that career and that that's not true I work with incredibly smart people um, some of who are extroverted some of who are introverted and um, it's just like any career um, you might have a few more nerdy people in it. I, I myself am a self-proclaimed nerd, so <laughs> no shame there, but um, you really do work from with people from all sorts of backgrounds. So I'd say that's probably one misconception. Um, the second one I've already kind of touched on as well is that you don't have to be good at communication and that's not that's not true. Um, you know, you, you need to be able to communicate about what you're building and be able to defend a solution, explain why you ch- made the decisions that you made, um, and you're not you're not just going to be in a hole writing code and doing what other people tell you. There, you do have a say in how the technology is made, and you can influence um, sometimes in major ways the bottom line for companies and mm-hmm. and how how their technology is written, wow. and then. <laughs> I actually touched on all all the misconceptions that I had, because the third one is that you have to be good at math. Um, Yeah.
0: Slayed. god, Not true. Hey there. If you're listening to this episode right now, it's probably because you're somewhere on the range of mildly curious to high key desperate to get out of analysis paralysis and into a job that will be an exciting and rewarding fit for your unique talents, values and interests, which By the way, I'm here to help you do just that in record time. If we haven't met yet, I'm Kelsey Kemp, a career coach specialized in helping Christians discern their unique calling and practically land a job that pays them to fulfill it. So you could have an impactful and meaningful career. Trust me, I get it. Picking a singular path out of the sea of options, then making a potential industry pivot to get into that line of work can all be insanely daunting. That's why I created the Deep Dive Career Coaching Program, so you could have me by your side, confidently walking you through each step of a career transition from start to finish. From discerning God's will for your life and what path you're truly called to take, to finding the exact job title that actually aligns with that, then getting hired for that position with confidence and speed, I'm here to be your personal career coach from start to finish. My signature two-month private career coaching program includes seven weekly coaching sessions with me, access to the library of guides and workbooks I've created to clearly guide your transition, as well as unlimited support from me in between sessions to help you nail down Every single step of the practicals, like your networking strategy and messaging and your resume and interviews and negotiations, I'll help you save a load of time, stress and dead-end job applications so you could land the job you're called to faster than you thought possible. Seriously, it could be on the other side of just two months. If all that sounds like a dream to you, then I want to formally invite you to apply for my deep dive private career coaching program. To take the first step, go to my website, kelseykemp.com slash coaching to learn more and book a free 30-minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit for you. I only work with people who are ready to go deep do the work, and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you and you're ready to accelerate your path to building an impactful career aligned with who God made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com coaching to learn more and book a free 30-minute consultation with me this week to get started. I'll talk to you soon. Now back to the episode.
1: Yeah, you, you don't have to be good at math for a lot of careers in um, in computer science, and some of them, uh, front-end development comes to mind for some that you really don't have a ton of math. There are definitely some careers that, you know, will require math, but just avoid those if you don't like the math.
0: Yeah, um, I, okay, so in my exposure to software engineering, and just technical fields like it, software development, whatever. Um, I really just see a need for, you have to be aware of a lot of systems, you have to be aware of how all the different layers of technology works together, the architecture of it, Um, and then as far as the programming or development aspect, you're writing code and it's really, it's called a language for a reason, right? It seems like you are writing a language that has um, business rule logic in it. But I'm just wondering, where does the math actually come in? I, I never really felt I saw it.
1: <laughs> yes, um, I'd say for, for the consulting um, where you're going into companies and, and you're mainly doing business logic, it's logic that you're programming with. So, you know, in this case, do this. In this case, do this. And a lot of those cases are like, if if the bill is greater than seventy five dollars. So we're talking elementary level math. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like so, you're yeah. not
0: even thinking hard about it at all.
1: <laughs> you're 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 not wrong. That uh, it's it's much. I'd say. Being good at logic puzzles and problem solving logic puzzles is probably a more important that skill than being able to do trigonometry. However, yes. However. I say, um, video game development, here's where people can get, um, into trouble with, with computer science is that they see something like video games and they're like, I love video games. I want to have a career in that. So I'm going to go to computer science. And I actually had um, my freshman year a, in college, one of my classmates was not enjoying what we were doing. And he looked at me and he was like, are you actually enjoying this? And I said, yes, I'm actually enjoying it. And if you're not, no, no use case, like if, if you're gonna be working on video games, you're still gonna be programming. And if you're not enjoying programming, you need to go to another career. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, what do you think he would actually be more interested in? Because I know there is so much that goes into video game development. I could only guess just right off the surface. There is story writing, there's um, even lighting design, animation, visualization, so much more than just the programming
1: there are a ton of avenues into video game development if that's where you want to go and you need to make sure that the path that you're taking is a path that you enjoy. Cause, um, the end product is not going to make the path any better. (laughs) Yeah. From my my experience. No, that's so true. the, The point that I was getting to with, um, video game development specifically is 3d games. You have to know vector maths. So adding, um, Arrows together, different velocities and physics. Those are all concepts that play heavily into video game development. So it's one of the more fun, visually, um, development paths that you can take. But that one, you have to know your math. Oh,
0: okay. I see, I see. Uh, but still, so much different than what the high school student in, I forget what, I, it's not algebra, but I'm just going to say algebra. It, them sitting there thinking, I don't like math, it's going to not even be in the same universe <laughs> as whatever math I'm guessing you would be using in very uh, computer science type of field. So yeah, again, might not want to count yourself out of it. But I I know that you've touched on a few things of um, qualities or strengths or even characteristics of some, what someone needs to have in terms of like being an avid learner, learning quickly um, to be successful or a good fit um, for software engineering. But what else is there in terms of preferences and qualities and strengths? Do you feel like someone needs to or it would be good that they embodied and you think that would be a good fit for this field?
1: Enjoying problem solving and being good at problem solving is I would say the single most important thing hmm. um, for deciding whether you're a good fit. If you can, if you can sit down and, it, and it's easy to, to find out just like start getting involved in programming, program a few things, simple things. If you find joy, by writing out an algorithm and having it be successful, consider going into computer science because that's really what the job is, is writing stuff, having it work. Well, it doesn't work many times before it works, but once it finally works, you feel great. I feel like
0: that's why it's called computer science, you know, because science, there's just, you try so many things, and um, it's just not going to work, not going to work, not going to work, maybe a bunch of times, and then it does, and it's, and it's such a success. Um, I want to ask you more about what you said in terms of kind of first and foremost, like you have to like problem solving. Honestly, so many professions say that. <laughs> And problem solving is such a buzzword or buzz term. Like, oh, I'm a creative problem solver. So, you know, I'm going to put that on my LinkedIn headline. I'm like, great. Nobody knows what the heck that means anymore. It's just like almost been said so much to the point where it's just like animal noise that's coming out of your mouth. And it doesn't mean anything. So, um, and this is kind of reminding me of my episode I also did interviewing someone in human resources. A lot of people say it well, if you like working with people, go into HR and it's just not that simple. There's other qualifiers that go into adding a richer picture for like, would I actually like this or not? So what is some more detail into what you mean by the specific type of problem solving that's unique to software engineering?
1: Uh, So software engineering, the problem solving that you're doing is incredibly logical. Um, I heard throughout school occasionally, someone who was exhausted with programming their code would say the computer is not working right or the computer is not reading my program correctly. And the answer to that question is always no. No. The computer is reading your program exactly as you wrote it. You wrote something incorrect. So um, you have to be good at looking at something very logically and not drawing any any more meaning out of it. Um, so when I would help people debug their code, um, and still do, a lot of the t- time a strategy I use is asking them, tell me what you think this code is doing, line by line. And eventually they'll get to a line, and they'll say, this is doing this. And I say, no, it's not. <laughs> so. Um, you know, being able to really analyze what you're doing and not, not building in, you know, what you want it to do and reading that instead, but reading exactly what you're logically telling the computer to do. Um, if you're skilled at that and you can find logic errors, well, um, being skilled at debugging makes you an incredibly great programmer. Yeah. Um, so I'd say the problem solving is not just like, Oh, you're given a problem and you can solve it. It's a logic puzzle that you can come up with a solution that is correct 100% of the time. And that's a lot more difficult than just it works. Yes. I, I saw um, a, a post that I thought was pretty funny at one point, which was um, a program that was supposed to return the day of the week, and it just returned Wednesday. <laughs> And the tester, of course, comes back and says, your program's not working. And the developer always tests it on a Wednesday and says, works for me. Oh. <laughs> and so, so being able to, you know, analyze something from all different angles and make sure that it works in every scenario that you need to work is um, the type of problem solving that you need to do. It's a lot more exhaustive than just, it works for me.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I love how you broke that down as a very, very detailed logic puzzle. I think that's such a perfect way to describe it because, in terms of problem solving, you could say without a doubt a customer service agent is a problem solver. Also, in my interview with a management consultant and a strategy consultant, especially the strategy consultant, she said, um you have to like problem solving but that's much different higher level organizational um touching many different functional aspects of the business much different than detailed logic puzzle which is what you really meant by problem solving anyway yeah,
1: loved that i, uh, I actually oh, uh, have one more example because i used to teach um in the summer kids robotics classes oh and um, so i would teach them to program and and in order to really hammer home uh, the specific logical nature that they had to get into i would set up a fake car and i would say walk me through step by step how to start this car and so usually they'd say start with something like get in the car and i say i don't know how to get in the car (laughs) and they say sit down and i usually you know just run into the fake door, and they start to realize, like, I have to tell you absolutely everything to do. You have to open the door, and then um, it's a really good illustration for the detail that you have to, the, the detail that you have to be able to think in in order to be um, a software engineer.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's hilarious. I wish I could see those kids' faces like, no, you dummy. I'm just telling you to, no, go here. Okay, well, you have to tell me that. And that's exactly what you would have to tell the computer to do because it's not going to make logic leaps for you. So what does your typical day look like in terms of your hours that you work and then also the tasks that you spend the majority of your time doing?
1: Yeah, it varies from project to project for me. Some engagements can be more strategic, whereas other engagements can be um, more day-to-day programming. Um, So as I've grown, my work has shifted to the more strategic side as well. So usually every day I have a scrum meeting in which we discuss the work that we did yesterday, not as a, accounting of all my hours yesterday but just as a here's the progress I made on what I was working on here's what I'm working on today and these are the things that are blocking me from moving forward from making progress that's all generally been the start of my day for 6 years
0: yes and it probably <laughs> always will be
1: <laughs> yes um that is one of the basics of um, Agile development, at least um, Scrum-based Agile development. So I um, would recommend looking into that if you're interested in this field and don't know anything about um, development techniques. But Agile development is very popular. Yeah. So I always start with Scrum. Um, and then it's taking stories that are ready to be worked and working them. And then um, having meetings occasionally to discuss future stories that are coming down that um, may need more clarification before they're ready to be worked. And then um, strategic meetings as well, just to make sure that technically moving forward, we're going in the direction that's gonna make the product extensible and um, not gonna write any checks that we can't cash later on, Mm -hmm. technically speaking.
0: And I could go ahead and ask you to explain what you mean by Scrum and stories and whatever, but I think really, if listener, if you are interested in this profession, you're, and you will have to go look up what agile uh, method development methodology is, it will be explained in all of that. (laughs) But um, what do you enjoy the most about your job? And then what's a little bit less glamorous?
1: So enjoy most, I'd say, really, it's, it's getting to the end of a project, and looking back at your solution and being proud of it. And seeing how that solution um, is actually affecting the business and, you know, saving money or pulling in more money or uh, making some job easier. Just seeing how technology can influence people's lives is really rewarding. Um, The least enjoyable part is definitely documentation and unit tests and other automated tests. It's sometimes the easiest part of software engineering is writing the code, but you're, you're not just responsible for writing code. You're making sure that that code is easy to understand that a new developer can come in and pick up where you left off. um, and that a, different programmer can't come in and write something that's going to break what you wrote. So that's where tests come in place so that if they write something that breaks it, they're notified via a test that something is broken. And that stuff can sometimes feel tedious.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I was a a tester for one of my technology consulting projects and it was, oh, tedious. Yeah, that was my middle name for a season. Um, But uh, I'm curious about when you were describing what's really rewarding to you, um, what, where does your satisfaction come from in your job like on the day-to-day basis? Because I find that, well, I, what I know from development projects and whatnot, like if your satisfaction or this rewarding feeling that you're describing comes from seeing how the technology impacts the business, that, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like it's kind of tied up in like when the product is finished or iterations are at least rolled out. And that could be weeks, months, or years down the line. So are you just a person that um, is generally just kind of satisfied with the longer term, I'll see it come to pass later? Or is there something else that, if you have a more day-to-day oriented, desire for satisfaction in your role, where does that come from?
1: It's, that's a good point. Um, I would hope that it's not quite a year until you see that released, but it can be months, easy. Um, So you do have to find satisfaction in writing good code. Mm -hmm. That's, that's where, where a lot of it comes from. If you, if you can take a piece of code and Turn it into something that does the exact same thing, but does it much better, and you find that satisfying. You're you kind of need that.
0: Bingo! Yes. Oh, thank you for going into that because um, my whole theory in from reflecting on my own career experience, what I thought would be satisfying, which led me to make my early career decisions and go into tech consulting, which I now realize is literally the antithesis of who I am. Um, And now that I serve as a career coach to a lot of people, I realize that there's a way that in society, we generally talk about career satisfaction, and it's typically not actually how we process our day-to-day feelings about our work. And so we talk about things in terms of the long-term reward or high level, my company is doing something cool, but that typically warm, fuzzy feeling that's very long-term oriented usually isn't enough to keep someone engaged in their job. And what I've seen as a pattern in my own life and others, is that really it's your ability to enjoy your tasks based on your interest and your natural talents and abilities being relevant to your the majority of your tasks that you're assigned to in a role. So that's why I'm really passionate about this series is to uncover what is your day-to-day really like, um, in terms of the tasks that are assigned to you and what kind of person is, I guess, the best applied to those. And okay. so people can find out, would this role really be satisfying to me? Because if you're thinking it just sounds cool on the outside for the end product, usually that's not what keeps someone engaged day to day. So, anyway, yeah, listen to what Zachary said, everyone. Yeah, he just enjoys the actual uh, um, task of development and that's what anyone would really have to enjoy if they want to go into this field. So, wise words, wise words. Um, so for anyone who's thinking that they are interested in going into software engineering, what would you recommend they do to get their foot in the door at a great company?
1: Yes, so really talented software engineers are are in demand right now. Um, And having a degree is easily the the best way to open doors, but not the only way to open doors. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you don't find yourself in a position where you have the ability to get a four-year degree, there are other methods, um, including certifications, um, boot camps, you know, there are a ton of free classes or cheap classes online that you can take to learn a specific language. Um, I'm, I work a lot with mobile development so um, Apple has released some educational materials for Swift for free um, targeted at people with very little experience and just showing that you know how to take something uh, or take nothing and turn it into something is, is what you, a company needs in order to, to open up that door so i've actually helped uh, multiple people with with very little experience my wife included uh, make a transition to tech so my wife um, she had a has a bachelor degree in biomedical engineering which is adjacent to computer science more so than another degree so um, it's not going to be this experience for everyone that wants to make a move to tech, but, um, she just started learning Java and she just went she right took, into it. Yep. And, and she, um, for an entire month, like that was all she did in her free time was, wow. was learning Java. And then she just started going to interviews and, um, she went to interviews for QA positions. Because mm-hmm. that's generally an easier way into the door for quality someone. Assurance. With, yes, quality yeah. assurance.
0: Search term. Um, I'm just trying to bring up a bunch of SEO. So people, because that's actually a huge barrier that I find a lot of um, people I talk to and work with as clients, they find they're like, okay, f- understanding what I want to do is one thing, but then also like, how do I find those jobs? And it often comes down to keywords. So quality assurance. Sorry, she got right into that.
1: Yeah, she she found a company that... Um, was kind of starting up and they needed a lot of people and she went into a quality assurance job and after a few months she she took advantage of some opportunities that were there for her and quickly moved into a software engineering job she showed them that despite the fact that i don't have a degree in this i am skilled in this i know what i'm doing with this because i put the time forth to learn it and so she moved up fairly quickly in that and then took that a couple steps further and she's now working um, at the same company that I work with at doing software uh, technology consulting,
0: so. That's amazing, let her be an example to us all. That is so cool, because I I did, I'm glad you brought that up, I definitely wanted to ask with the popularity of boot camps, self-taught, you know, um, technology careers are um, apparently abundant and, like, kind of a hot topic. Um, I, I'm glad for it, any personal examples, like this one, that you're able to share of, to get to the point of the question I had, which is, is that actually effective to qualify you for a position? And it sounds like the answer is yes. And um, with maybe a caveat being you might want to look into like this wonderful suggestion of like a position like QA that might be an easier entrance point and allow yourself to have a bridge job role or two before you get into software engineering um, directly after being self-taught in a shorter stint and not having a four-year degree. So it is effective, um, which is good to hear. Yeah, it's not um, easy other, at all. Not easy. No. no. <laughs> any other thoughts on, um, I guess, being self-taught or like actually getting a job and um, I, making yourself into a top applicant in maybe the stack of resumes that come in?
1: Yeah, it's it's not going to open all doors for you. Um, you know, some people are so focused on that four-year degree that they're not going to consider, but if the question is, is there a career path where I don't have a four-year degree and I use these other methods to build up my um, reputation and credibility, the answer is absolutely that is a valid career path. And it's it's weird. Um, I was in college when I had um, a guest speaker out in one of my classes who's like, yeah, I don't have a degree in this and I'm very successful in technology. And it's like, what am I doing getting a four-year degree <laughs> if that's not required? But it is a much more difficult um, career path. But but once you get in, once you prove yourself um, as a software engineer at a company, it becomes a lot easier.
0: Yeah, just get experience. Oh gosh, I'm so grateful for your encouragement in that way because so many people think that a career pivot necessitates going back and getting another bachelor's degree, which in my mind is like so intimidating and defeating. It's a ton of money. It's a ton of time. It's a ton of opportunity cost, all this and lost wages and whatever. And so I'm very, very passionate about people realizing the opportunities they have to make a bridge into a new industry or a new role with paid experience (laughs) and you know, smaller certifications or uh, professional development along the way. Um, So it's not such a huge deal to transition into something new. So I'm so, man, I'm full of admiration for your wife.
1: The one recommendation I would have from her experience is that no one's going to make those career moves for you. Mm. So um, she was great at QA because she, she tried hard and she did she did her job well um, and they did not wanna lose her as one of their QA people. But she made it very clear from the beginning and had multiple touch points after she started that she wanted to have a path towards um, software engineering and that that was always her intent. And then when that move wasn't made initially, she had to pressure um to actually make that move happen. So you can't just sit back and expect someone to make that move for you. You have to make your expectations clear and actually um, be willing to put yourself out there and, and prove yourself when you get the opportunity. (gasps) That's incredible. I need to interview her. I I demand it. Oh my gosh. That's so cool.
0: I love the initiative and you are so right. Yeah. Nobody's going to make that for you. And, as you were describing her story, that wasn't a look what happened by accident story. (laughs) Not at all. That was a lot of knocking on doors and um, being very upfront with her goals that had to happen. So I'm very glad that you mentioned that. Um, You've already shared a ton of great advice. I'm curious if there's anything else as a wrap up final send off question of in terms of a nugget of career advice that you've learned from your own journey that you'd like to share with the listeners?
1: Yeah, I have two small nuggets. Two nuggets, okay Um, great. So the first one is don't get stuck in a position where you aren't learning new technologies. Um, I mentioned earlier your skills will become stale very quickly if you are just an expert on one thing and you're not learning new skills. So always be proactive about learning new skills. And if you find yourself in a position to where you're not learning anything, you don't have to be out of it the very next day, but have those conversations with your managers to where you say, I'm not growing in this position. I need to move somewhere where I'm going to grow. Very Mm -hmm. important um, in technology. The second one is a question that I always recommend that people ask to their managers, whether it's day one, so, right after I got promoted to my current position of architect, I asked my manager this question It's um, what's keeping me from getting promoted to the next level? What? Obviously, there's the a very lot that's next day. <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> okay, tell, not, tell, me tell me more. Tell me more. It's not that you're um, having an expectation of being promoted, right? But, like, I'm always very upfront in saying, Obviously the answer is many things, but I wanna know from your perspective, when you look at me and say, you're an architect and not a senior architect, why is that? What are the Mm -hmm. things that I'm lacking that's keeping me back from that position? Because too often I've seen people focus growing in areas that they'd be better off focusing on other areas, but they never ask that question. Oh
0: my gosh, you are a career master. Oh my gosh, I am so floored by that question, like the boldness of it. And so many people, including myself, honestly, like when I was at a large company, I would not have considered asking that kind of question. I might have had feelings like, oh my gosh, is that a little much? I just got promoted. Why would I be asking a question like that? But a second promotion isn't necessarily the point. It's what, it's maybe one of the most Thought provoking or just provocative ways to ask what are your growth expectations of me? So you could have the critical path to that next position instead of like you're describing, just guessing at what your um superior is hoping for and what's actually required for the next level or as if magically just time past qualifies you for the next level because that's not true. Um, might work like that in some bureaucracies, but ideally that's not really what we're going for. Like what growth do you want from me? And so why don't I start out as purposeful in that from day one? So it gives you focus. And it also plants a really good seed in your manager's mind of, oh, okay, I like this. They're being ambitious about it, and they want to do what's best and what's expected. Um, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, ooh, I'm gonna put that one in my back pocket. That was, <laughs> that was so good. Well, Zachary, thank you so much for all that you shared in our discussion, and I'm really excited to hopefully have this help people along in following along in your footsteps and being a budding software engineer. So thank you so much. Yeah, Thank you. If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the job library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other Benchbull episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.